welcome to the Rory's Nitro podcast, the show that rips up the buy rate and TV ratings and declares our own winner in some of pro wrestling's biggest head-to-head battles. I'm your host, Lee Carlos Cunningham, joined once again by the Doctor of Style, Duncan Joyce. How's things going, Dunk? <laughs> A jive soul, bro. <laughs> I'm very well, Lee. How are you? I'm really good. Every time I go to introduce you, I forget what Monica, what Dr. Monica you used on the last episode of your show, and I just have a brain freeze every time. <laughs> <laughs> it's usually um, the doctor, not, doctor amongst men, that's it, because of Braun. Yeah, and I always forget right at the moment I hear it. <laughs> <laughs> I keep having to come up with different ways to introduce me and Kyle, and I think Kyle was a little bit insulted by my Rick Steiner analogy last time. I think you just stop introducing him, to be fair. You've been carrying him for long enough. Oh. <laughs> I was just sat in my car driving along the other day, listening to your show, enjoying it, thinking, oh, it's good. Like, you guys haven't dropped anything sort of, you know, one of your, like, current shows since I think the Rumble or maybe Elimination Chamber. Um, it's been a little while, listening along, and then he starts on Scott Steiner. I'm like, how can you love Triple H and knock Scott Steiner? Come on. <laughs> He needs to see, like, the Kurt Angle-style Scott Steiner. Yeah, Scott Steiner's brilliant. You've got to love him. Even when he when his body broke down, he still entertained the hell out of me. Yeah, that that show that we reviewed, it was he was pretty much all gimmick and non-traditional, like, like, mid to early 90s Scott Steiner moveset. If there's one thing I can watch at any time and never, ever be bored by, it's the Scott Steiner maths promo. (laughs) It's my (laughs) favourite. And speaking of TNA, we are obviously back here to talk um, WWE versus TNA. And we're on the pay-per-view episode this time around. We're watching Extreme Rules and Lockdown 2010. Did you enjoy the shows, Duncan? Uh, Well, we'll get into that as we get into the shows. But yeah, um, there was the episode of Raw... Uh, prior to Extreme Rules does like post-date the lockdown, but I thought it would be a bit of a dick move to spoil TNA's pay-per-view for the sake of not spoiling Raw. Yeah, I always... There's always a period in every month of a story arc I review where I get to this point, and I think you you certainly hit the nail on the head, pay-per-views first, and then we'll do Raw and um, Impact on the next episode together. Mm, yeah, there's lots of chaos going on around this time, uh, I will say beforehand, because uh, that big fucking volcano that nobody could pronounce went off. Mm. Yeah, they talk about that on this show, and I was like, holy shit, that was then. Like, it just, yeah. It's funny when your old wrestling marries up with real history that you can remember too. I know, it's so weird to me, because that was my second or third year at uni and uh that happened around about the easter break and loads of people went home for the easter break and then got stranded and so then after that they started putting like the midterm assessments in the actual easter break to try and stop people leaving for easter which was a bit mean yeah, indeed, that sounds a bit rough. Um, we're coming up to Easter here now as well, so my work, of course, doesn't give me an Easter break, so I sympathise completely. But the two shows we're watching, um, Extreme Rules, comes to us from the first Mariner Arena in Baltimore, Maryland, in front of 12,278 fans and drew approximately 182,000 buys on pay-per-view. 
Lockdown comes to us from the family arena in St. Charles, Missouri, in front of 3,023 fans. But unfortunately, TNA being TNA, I was... um, pretty much impossible to find a buy rate estimate on that one. So we're going to guess it was probably considerably lower than the 182,000 WWE drew. I'd say by like a factor of 10 or five, probably. Yeah. It's a pretty good estimate, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Their highest pay-per-view was, what was it? It was angle, the first ever angle and Joe one. And that was like 60,000. So and not going to be breaking the six figure mark at the least. Yeah, I know. And we'll get into this when the shows go. But you watch shows like this one and you think, man, I just wish they could have had a little bit more business sense because they really, they had a lot of potential TNA at this point in time. They did, yeah. Um, well, again, we'll get into that as we get through the show because there's certain things about the look of it that think, oh, you're so close. You're so close. 100%. Um, well, let's do it then. Let's jump in. Which show did you watch first? I watched Lockdown first. Okie dokie, let's head over to lockdown. I actually went the other way, but we'll do lockdown first because, to be perfectly honest, I'm more excited to talk about that one. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, mm. Well, let's head over, let's have a look. And yeah, you might be surprised, especially long-time listeners of the show, might be surprised at my feelings on, on these two shows. So let's have a bit of a look, shall we? Yeah, let's... looking at a horrifying structure a heavy metal menace a beast made of cold hard steel like the monster frankenstein it is a creation born from the darkest side of man's imagination all who enter enter with fear all who leave leave scarred forever I don't like steel cages. Everybody knows the steel hurts. I don't like to get in them. You got a hundred new ways to injure somebody. I don't like to wrestle them. In a steel cage, something bad's gonna happen to you. Tonight, bodies will be broken. Athletes crumble. Mighty men fall. Is this fearsome structure a real demon? Or is it merely the devil within a man that is unleashed? Is it the voice of the cage a man hears inside here? Or is it the voice of fear inside his own head? Are you afraid? 
Lockdown, of course, TNA's all-cage match pay-per-view um, starts off with Steel Cage opening video um, talking about tonight, bodies will be broken. But they um, didn't carry on with the please don't try this at home ad, which greatly disappointed me there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Rob Van Dam, um, uh, PhD, stating the obvious here, saying, everybody knows the steel hurts. Yeah, I'd expect <laughs> it would, mate. <laughs> no, <are> you, really? <laughs> And um, 2010 TNA has something that 2019 WWE tries to shy away from, and that's Big Pyro. Yes! So that was quite cool. A <laughs> whole heap of it, yeah. Uh, this video package that opened the show, it referred to the cage as a horrifying structure and a heavy metal menace. And it's born from the darkest side of man's imagination. So it's obviously come from the same place as Black Rain, which must be why it's all clad in black. <laughs> meow, meow, meow. Meow, 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 That's so bad. And you think that's not even his worst gimmick? No. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, we won't go into the um the pedo staring through the window. <laughs> that was just oh. before I started watching WCW. What a near miss I had there. <laughs> I've still only seen it on YouTube. I've not really gotten too far. I've, I've not delved into 2000s WCW yet. Uh, and the big shock for me here is they're coming from St. Louis and not the Impact Zone, which is a real change. And I actually, I liked that. I thought the crowd here seemed like they were up for this show, which really helped my enjoyment of it throughout. Yeah, I think they've been running this venue a good two or three years by this point. Like, uh, even, like, like I said, a couple of years before, prior to this, Lockdown was established as like a touring brand for TNA. Like they'd always try and get out of the impact zone for Lockdown, Bound for Glory, and Slammiversary. Um, yeah. Oh, oh, sorry. The other thing about um, that opening video, the so it's narrated from the perspective of the cage, but then the cage's voice turns into Mister Anderson's, and he says, "Fear me." And I was just like, well, I kind of fear having to watch you wrestle at the least. <laughs> yeah, I um during the Anderson Angle match, I was sat there texting my brother going, how did Ken Kennedy become so shit the second he switched company? <laughs> but um, I, maybe my mind changed a little bit. We'll, go, we'll get into that soon enough. But, um, All right. The, yeah. And Mike Tanay and Taz, of course, are our commentary team, and they start out by telling us that Doug Williams is stuck in England due to the um, storm from Iceland that we were talking about earlier, and therefore TNA, being the massive dicks that they are, took the title off him. Well, you say took the title off him, the, the physical championship belt is stuck with him in Europe, yeah. so we've got nothing to award the winner tonight. Yeah, we'll just quickly cut away after the match. <laughs> But um, he's stuck there. And also, speaking of people not attending, Six Park is not here and Taz buries him on commentary. I'll splice a little bit of that in, but man, they um, they made no bones about burying him here. Six Pack doing Six Pack things, Taz says. And ladies and gentlemen, we welcome you. St. Louis, Missouri and Lockdown. It's Mike today. It's Taz. We're at ringside. And as we covered during the pre-show, we have breaking news for you. First off, X-Division champion Douglas Williams. He has been grounded in the UK. You've seen the story all over the news. The fallout from the volcano in Iceland. It's prevented him from traveling to the States, from England, and as a result, TNA management has stripped Williams of the X Division title. We will have a new X Division champ crown tonight, Taz. Well, also, six pack of the band not here tonight. 
We have a call time here of 1 p.m. for all wrestlers to appear, you know, to come to work. And, well, six pot, he no-shows. Obviously a case of uh, six pot being six pot, so who knows? And Taz, speaking of not being here, Eric Bischoff scheduled to be here tonight at lockdown. We can tell you he's not here yet. I know I saw him yesterday at our fan interaction event here in St. Louis. Oh, yeah. Man alive. Um, that's the big issue I have here, because he's not the only person missing from this show. What do they segue into next, Lee? Um, next, we go into... Um, I've Actually, I've got here just going into the next match. Did I miss something there? Ah, they also tell us that Eric Bischoff isn't here. Ah, yes. Yeah, sorry, you're completely right. So they've cut in a kayfabe absentee with... A, shoot absentee and treated them with the same level of uh like newsworthiness yeah it's pretty um <laughs> they're playing fast and loose with kayfabe there for sure yeah and we go into our first contest which is rvd taking on james storm um of course as i said earlier all of these matches are cage matches some of them have got little added stipulations as well this one here is to fight for first man advantage in the lethal lockdown main event team hogan versus team flair so if um logic dictates here you're expecting james storm to come away with the victory so the heels can always have the extra man advantage in the main event Yes, but counteracting that, you've got the opening matchup. You want to start hot. You'd probably expect a babyface to win that. Let's see how it pans out. Yes. <laughs> to keep a little bit of variety in the show, they actually brawl along the outside to start with, knowing every match is going to be in the cage. actually didn't mind a bit of crowd brawling this time around. Um, and we get a really cool uh, RVD where he puts a man gut first onto the rail and normally jumps off the apron with his spinning heel kick slash leg drop, does it from climbing up the cage, which was really cool. Mm. They get in the cage, we hear the bell. Um, RVD, as it turns out, I missed this completely until he got into the ring and I saw his face was cut open on the steel steps on the way in by James Storm. And the crowd starts us off with a pretty decent RVD chant for, yeah, a little bit of um, good crowd participation early. Fresh face, relatively speaking. Um People who, outside of Orlando, wouldn't have had the chance to see RVD wrestle in the good while. Absolutely, and this yeah made made it enjoyable. Uh, we're getting an inverted atomic drop, and then James Storm is thrown into the cage. I notice uh, pretty early on that they've actually really smartly cut some good-sized holes out of the corners of the cage for the camera, and that allows much, much better production value. So tick in the production value box for TNA on this night. Mm, there's... Something involving one of those holes coming up. I think it's not until we get to the main event, but yeah, I'm sure someone uses that as a spot. I'm pretty sure you're right, and we will definitely find out on the way, because I'm fairly certain that I have notes about that. (laughs) We get a top rope sidekick from RVD for a two, and then a ten punch spot before Storm comes back with a neck breaker. RVD hits a spinning kick and a couple of clotheslines, and then a lovely split-legged moonsault for a two-count before James Storm gets his beer bottle and spits beer in the eyes of RVD and absolutely impales him with a wicked DDT for a two-count. Um, why did Storm, when he did the beer spit spot, he was sneaking behind Hebner's back to do it? Yeah, I don't quite get this. There's surely no DQs in any of these matches, is there? Exactly, yeah. My only other thing that I can think of is it's like a chairs match in the WWE where uh, chairs are the only legal weapon. So maybe, like, generic cage match in impact uh the 
cage surroundings are the only legal thing to use as a weapon. I think you might be giving them a little bit too much credit. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> and then James Storm tunes up the band, which I found pretty funny. Um, un- unfortunately, he misses the kick. RVD hits it into Gory. And then a five-star... Five, I cannot speak tonight. Five-star frog splash for the one, two, three. So your pay-per-view cliche came true over mine. And babyface victory to start the show. Yes, indeed. In what Taz described as a very physical matchup. Uh, did you hear Taz describing RVD's finishing maneuver, Duncan? Go on. Nobody gets as high as Rob Van Dam. Oh, of course, yes. <laughs> that was on one of his t-shirts at one point, I'm pretty sure. Oh, God. It's terrible. Um, we have a win for Team Hogan. Therefore, they're going to have the the man advantage all throughout the lethal lockdown. So that's interesting. I'm very keen to see how the booking of that plays out. Definitely, yeah. Um, Team Hogan, the way they were battered on the impact before this show, are kind of positioned as the underdog, so I guess they figured that that evens it out a bit. Yeah, possibly. Um, Speaking of being the underdogs and trying to sort of put the booking up against the wall, we have Christy Hemme with Hulk Hogan, who pretty much out of nowhere says if his team loses, he'll leave TNA. Indeed, yeah. Um, My top quote from Hogan's... Uh, promo here was it's not even wrestling when you go hitting people with beer bottles and burning someone's heads off brother what well, um, he said something else I, I i might have to splice some of this and i think he went hit him with a with a fire extinguisher in the head fair enough but not the beer bottle or something like yeah that. yeah I mean, it was probably in relation to a biscuit in run over um, yeah, but, yeah, yeah, not running him over <laughs> yes uh but still you, this is the guy running the wrestling company Telling you that his show is not even wrestling. Yeah, good stuff. <laughs> yeah, um, that opening match was good as well, I thought. Yeah, it was decent. Um, really set the tone for the rest of the show. Yeah, uh, the initial urgency by Rob Van Dam was really appreciated, although it kind of just turned into walking around the ring. Uh, and then after that, it kind of felt a bit like a normal match, but it was... No, entertaining, kind of like TV match level at any rate. Yeah, I get the feeling they kind of wanted to set the tone, but you can't blow all the spots early either because every match is in the bloody cage. Mm, That's true. We then go to another match which could potentially blow all the spots. It's a fatal four-way match, um, escape match. So basically you've just got to get out the cage. Um, And it's for a spot in the triple threat for the now vacated X Division Championship. So it's going to be Homicide taking on Brian Kendrick, who I was pumped to see, and the Motor City Machine Guns, Alex Shelley and Chris Sabin. Yeah, a tag team in a four-way singles contest. Reminds me a little bit of the women's title match I've just finished watching in on NXT TakeOver New York. I suppose that's true, yeah. Um, the match gets started with Homicide and Brian Kendrick both trying to escape early, but the guns are too quick. They then go into a decent sequence of tag team offense, none of which I can describe to you because it's too fast and furious for me to take notes, but it was enjoyable. That's what I will say. I just called it classic Motor City Machine Gun double teams. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of assumed knowledge here. If you've ever seen the Motor City Machine Guns wrestle, that's the moves that they do. Yeah, pretty much. And if you haven't, go and watch it because it's going to be better than me talking about it really slowly. <laughs> Homicide then locks on a camel clutch to one of the guns and Brian Kendrick runs the ropes eight times, 
before stopping to slap the gun that's in the camel clutch. It was just brilliant. <laughs> I love it. Um, the guns hit a poetry in motion variant on both Homicide and Kendrick. Um, and we get a jump off the cage to a DDT from one of the guns, which was really, really quick and crisp. Homicide and Brian Kendrick team up, but Brian Kendrick turns around uh, to go and continue the offense. And Homicide just legs it straight out the cage, which was unusual, but realistic. And I really enjoyed it. I know it was you know, not the most climactic end- ending to a cage match, but this is what you would do if this was real life. And I just really, really dug the finish. What did you think? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I was totally fine with that. Um, again, this is very watchable. The psychology of this was a bit weird with you know, two singles guys going after a tag team. Um, I thought the individual spots were great, and like you say, the, the finish was kind of sound, but as a package, didn't quite reach the level it possibly could have. No, and again, like with another X Division match coming up, I think they wanted to find a way to keep something in the tank without disappointing, and I was okay with this. Hmm. From there, we go to our next matchup, which is Eric Young taking on Kevin Nash in a bit of a grudge match since Kevin Nash has turned on Eric Young and joined his bandmates, so to speak. Yes. Mike Tanay, as the double cross was happening in that package, sounded so uninspired. Yeah, it's pretty much a it's one of the, it's a pretty big retread by this point, isn't it? <laughs> He's just like, oh this again. <laughs> That's pretty much the tone he took. I don't think that was um commentating. I think he thought his headset was off. <laughs> hey, speaking of headsets being off, this is completely unrelated, but I decided the other morning I was ready for work half an hour early and the wife took the kids and I thought, Oh, I'll just throw something on the network for twenty minutes, you know, kill some time and I thought Oh, look, they've got the dark match from WrestleMania 9, which I'd never seen. Papa Shango taking on El Matador. JR's on commentary, and um, he just out of the blue goes, he's on commentary alone. He just goes, yeah, no worries, Bruce. I'll work on that. (laughs) (laughs) Getting some feedback on the headset before the big debut. Blimey. Yeah, so that was interesting, and I just remembered it then, and now I'll move immediately back on. <laughs> um, Kevin Nash starts the match with some strikes, and then Eric Young hits a nice missile drop kick. Um, Taz gives possibly the worst compliment he can give to a wrestler when he says, Eric Young is loaded with spunk. Yes. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Taz. <laughs> Did you hear as well when Eric Young got introduced, he was announced as being from Canada? No, I didn't. Is that that just small little town? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. It used to drive me nuts when they'd say from England about any of the English guys, so I completely get that. I, whenever Howard Finkel would introduce the British Bulldog, I would totally mishear him. I couldn't tell that he was supposed to be saying from Leeds. Something about the way he announced it made me think, is he, like, botching saying Lee? It was a um a bit of a I think it was a bit of a running gag with the bulldog because they at different times announced him as from Manchester, from Wigan, from Leeds, and from Sheffield at different events in the early nineties. It just he seemed to be the man with no hometown. Aww. Yeah, and um Kevin Nash comes out the corner with a low blow before putting Ey in the corner for some strikes. Um, EY is inviting the strikes. It seems as though he's playing a bit of a rope-a-dope game here. Um, but the one thing he doesn't want to walk into is the huge choke slam Kevin Nash nails him with. A big boot and then lawn darts him into the cage. And then the jackknife powerbomb for the 1-2-3 in what was pretty much a glorified squash match. 
fucking terrible. Just so nondescript. Did absolutely nothing for EY. Practically did nothing throughout this entire match. Yeah, this was um, one of the two matches on the show I really didn't enjoy. And um, after the match, Nash picks up the microphone and he says that um, since uh, Six Pack's not here, he will now partner Scott Hall to take on Team 3D. And I guess that's why they didn't have him do too much in this match because Lord knows Kevin Nash's quads can't do double duty. Well, you say that, you mentioned that because the verbiage of his promo was very exact and very much opposite the way he was actually physically feeling here. So he gets on the mic and he's actually physically struggling for breath. And and he tells us, you think Scott Hall is coming out tonight alone? Not while Kevin Nash still has breath. <laughs> Barely. <A little>. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. And from there, we go to our next match, which is the second match I didn't enjoy in this show, the knockouts match. It's Angelina Love and Tara taking on the beautiful people with all the titles on the line, uh, a.k.a. Oh, sorry, a la the Yokozuna Owen Hart versus two dudes with attitude match or the two-man power trip taking on Undertaker and Kane. Yeah, so Tara can't get her title back in this match. No, but she can become a tag team champion. Hmm... The thing about the video package before this match, we got the reminder of that utterly inane, awful Vlockbox challenge as well. Yeah, that um, probably put the sour taste in my mouth before this one began, and it just never really recovered. Like, We'll get into the finish here in a minute, but um, coming off the back of bad booking, they really needed to let the girls go all out and prove their worth a little bit more and put women's wrestling back to the forefront, and I don't necessarily think that's what happened here. Well, see... Tara came out for this match wearing a baseball cap, and I was thinking somewhere Jerry Lawler is watching and being absolutely furious right now. <laughs> yeah, and she never ate a picture frame. What a waste. Um, did you notice the Titantron for Angelina Love? No, I can't say I did. There's three random silhouettes of women in that. I don't really understand who they are, what they're supposed to be. Okay, fair she's, enough. She's, I she's yeah, not didn't beautiful. notice that. She's not a beautiful person anymore. Well, she, I mean, she's not in the beautiful people. <laughs> well, that's a bit rough, Dunk. <laughs> Be sure to let her know on Twitter. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> the match gets started with a um, Tara being pretty dominant early on, but she does miss a moonsault after chatting a little bit too much to Angelina Love. Angelina comes in and takes over on the heels before Tara tags herself back in, hits a widow peak, uh, widow's peak, sorry, but the pin is broken up by Velvet Sky. Lacey then sneaks in and nails Tara with a belt for the one, two, three. So Tara costs Angelina Love her title in an absolute dud. Um, Mad- Madison Rain, sorry, um, now has the has the belt, um, has won it from Tara. So yeah. Um, Tara, who lost the belt without losing, has now cost Angelina love the belt who lost without lose, uh, lost it without losing herself. Yeah, so Angelina won the title essentially by chance, literally, and yep. has now lost it on her first defense. Without being pinned or submitting. Oh, what a useless title reign. Absolutely. A complete waste of time. Um, very little rhyme or reason to v- this match, really. Um, why were they even tags in this match? 
Yeah, it makes no sense. Why did um, Lacey have to sneak in as well? Like, none of this... The booking just made zero sense. And then Angelina Love, who's been cost the title by Tara, puts out a hand to shake Tara's hand and then eats the widow's peak herself. So, um, yeah, complete waste of time for all involved. Exactly, yeah. Crap finish. Total weight of crap on Love's title reign. No flow, no heat. Yeah, just poor all round. So, a couple of duds in a row. Um, but we move quickly away, and Jeremy Barash is with Team Flair. Ric Flair cuts a crazy Ric Flair pl- promo. None of the other guys speak, but eventually AJ does come in and cut a promo on the Pope, which was not too bad. I actually thought AJ was all right in this. He, not a patch on Flair, obviously, but it, it's not bad. Yeah, not all that bad. Um, like you say, Flair goes absolutely crazy, especially at the point when he realizes Sting is on his team. I've got Sting! Sting, 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 Sting! Woo! Sting a splash! Something yeah. like that. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. It was just typical old man crazy flair. I loved it. And from there, we go to our next match, which is which is a triple threat for the X Division Championship. It's Homicide taking on Shannon Moore and Frankie Kazarian. We have Shannon Moore and Kazarian teaming up on Homicide early. They take turns nailing him into the cage, but each break up the pin of the other. Um, They exchange pins on each other, and then Homicide comes back and hits them both with drop kicks, a back elbow, a snap suplex, and a T-bone suplex. Shannon Moore comes back with an inverted atomic drop, and he and Kaz hit a double superplex. uh, Sorry, attempt a double superplex, but it's blocked, and Homicide comes off the rope with a pair of top rope cutters or more like stone cold stunners actually which taz and mike today reference on commentary pin them each for both two counts one at a time kaz comes in with a roll up and then homicide uh, rolls up homicide sorry and hits a northern light suplex on shannon Moore at the same time and each pin again gets a two count in a pretty cool spot Kaz hits a missile drop kick for a two. Shannon Moore a moonsault for a two homicide hits a top rope hip toss and then a Sorry, and a also and a headbutt to Shannon Moore from the top, uh, who was try attempting the pin. Kaz then picks up Homicide for an Alabama Slam, but drops him back onto his head for the one, two, three in what looked like a really sick finishing move to a fairly decent triple threat match. I didn't mind this. What did you think, Dunk? This is much more like it. Yeah, very, very good under the circumstances. Like we've just had a opponent added to this match at the last minute. It was fast, uh, constant interruptions, very little of this lazy, one man disappears and the other two go at it one-on-one thing, and a few really good big spots filled with action. Big thumbs up for me. And yeah, that finisher from Kazarian, it's called the Fade to Black, or as Taz called it, that sick new power driver type manoeuvre. Oh, it was sick. It looked like, you know, an Alabama slam turned into a vertebraker. It was very disgusting looking, but cool. Pope then um, cuts a promo with Christy Hemi. And to be fair, I was a bit disappointed in this. It wasn't one of Pope's better promos, considering the the big title match he's got coming up in this show. Um, I popped for uh, the way he pronounced shoulders. It's like, I'm going to pin AJ's shoulders to the match. (laughs) <laughs> and he makes a nice midnight train to Georgia reference. Yeah, it was it was okay. I mean, Pope's a good promo. It just wasn't. I was expecting next level, and it was just you know kind of basic. 
from there yeah from there we go to uh, team 3d taking on the band which of course as we talked about earlier is now hall and nash and bubba wants this to be a false count anywhere match which is weird considering it's a cage match but sure <laughs> yeah st louis street fight with false count anywhere and this had me just like okay which of course doesn't factor into the match whatsoever <laughs> Um, we then get a um, a bit of a brawl along the outside from both. They go into the crowd, which I guess was the whole point of making it Falls Count anywhere, but RVD and Storm did that before their match anyway, so it doesn't make a big deal. They eventually do get in the ring, and um, we end up with Bully Ray locked out of the cage, so they beat on Devon for a while, taking turns, before Bully Ray gets a chair and swings at the hand of Kevin Nash, holding the door shut to get himself back in. Uh, he gets back in and they turn the tables and they get the what's up headbutt and then actually get the tables. They hit the 3D on Hall through the table for the one, two, three in a match that wasn't great, but it was fairly short and used its gimmicks well to be mildly entertaining. I just thought this was another useless brawl, really. Um, better than Nash's first match, I'll give him that. Um like the comedy with the crowd and the table spot at the end. Like, did you see when they were going through the crowd, there was one lad in the third row that got flattened by the wrestlers and sold for it? No, I didn't. That, would have, that would have popped me for sure. <laughs> fantastic. Um, and yeah, and the, the spots where they were locking Ray out of the cage, well, they weren't really locking him out. One guy was holding the door shut. Like, yeah, so the other guy could... Mm. It didn't... I just didn't get the point because it didn't really give the band a man advantage because one guy would have to be looking after the cage door. So It's funny because I thought this during the match and then I thought, well, I suppose they could say that they always had a fresh man beating on Devon. As fresh as either Hall or Nash could be at this point in their careers, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> it's my turn to reach for logic they didn't explain. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but then we go to our next match, which I was I had I was dreading. I've got to be honest with you. This was the one match on the show I was really not looking forward to, and that's Mr. Anderson taking on Kurt Angle in a escape through the door only cage match. Hmm. Yes. Uh, that video package before this, I think it was just exactly the same as the one they had from the last episode of Impact. Just seeing the clips from that ladder match that they have still makes me wince. Yeah, I know. I um. Nothing about this made me excited one bit. Nope. Um, from there, we do get into the match, and it's basically Ken Anderson unloading with punches whilst trying to escape to start with, as trying to escape to start with, um, and then punches with a padlock key, which he's got a hold of to get in and out. Um, yeah, this key, he just wrestles the match at the start with it around his neck. Yeah, it, which is a little weird, isn't it? Yeah, put it in your tights or something? Like, what's to stop Kurt from reaching for it? <laughs> but anyway, that all gets thrown out of a window like within three minutes because there's one time when he tried to escape and he just left the key in the door. So you bloody yeah. knackered your body in that ladder match to get a hold of this key and then you're just like, oh, that's fine, it's just there. Yeah, I'll just leave the car running while I um, run back inside and get my lunch I've left on the counter. Yeah. <laughs> Angle hits a suplex uh, before Anderson comes back and sends him into the cage. It's very slow and plodding to start with, and I, I was struggling to get motivated to soldier on through this match. Um, Anderson 
beats on Angle and he's busted pretty early, which I didn't like. I just thought it didn't really have enough drama. He starts sending him into the cage and then hits a leg drop, some more cage shots, and Angle starts gushing really badly. I thought that it was pretty oversold to start with. Angle hits a backdrop and then move, my, one of my favorite moves, the belly-to-belly off the top rope uh, before Anderson goes into a lengthy chokehold with his wrist tape on Kurt Angle. And it looks like he's actually murdering him on the floor here. Yeah, it's a callback to that ladder match when he was choking him with the warrior medal. Exactly. Angle hits a back suplex eventually when he gets out of the chokehold and near-death near experience. Um, we go into a slugfest before Angle hits a nice belly-to-belly, and then Anderson hits his flipping Samoan drop. Angle unloads with seven German suplexes, which was really cool, even if Mike Tanay couldn't count all seven and said it was five, I think. Oh, I had it at six. <laughs> oh, did you? There you go. <laughs> One of us can't count, or two of us can't count. <laughs> <laughs> He hits an ankle lock, but Kennedy, uh, Kennedy, I'm going to use Kennedy and Anderson interchangeably, apologies in advance, um, hits the mic check and then gets the door open, but eats the angle slam. And then Kurt relocks the door. As you said earlier, he'd left the key in there. Um, he flips off Anderson and tosses the key into the crowd. He then begins to, begins to sadistically stalk his prey before hitting a top rope German suplex. And holy shit, that was incredible. I loved that spot. Now, just going back to what Kurt had done earlier on, he at this point in the match, it looks like he's thrown the key out of the cage with the door locked. The yep. rules of this match stipulate <laughs> that you have to escape through the door. So how the fuck is this match meant to end? <laughs> oh, I guess he's not in a hurry to end this one. Uh, well, yeah, Taz seems to spot this. Like the angles, basically pointing about with Anderson to make him suffer, and Taz goes, "It's a good thing Anderson's wearing black trunks." Yeah, proper JR call that one. Yeah, Tanay responds, "What a visual!" <laughs> oh man, but yeah, I just, I absolutely, this is this is the part where. After being like, oh, this again, like, yeah, it's a blood feud, whatever, I'm not too into it. They hit that top rope German suplex, and I immediately went, okay, now now I'm on board. And it actually picked up quite a bit from here, I felt. Um, we get a This Is Awesome champ from the crowd, and then, holy shit, Kurt Angle goes up top and hits the moonsault from the top of the cage. This is really starting to pick up now. What a couple of impressive spots back-to-back from Kurt. That became a trademark of his in TNA, this moonsault off the cage. Didn't really get that much contact this time around. It reminded me of the one that broke Hardcore Holly's arm, to be fair. Oh, yeah, that's true. Kind of side on. So I, I actually, yeah, I liked that for the callback as well. Um, not that they mention it, but it, it had that kind of accidental half twist on it that, that broke Holly's arm. Um, from there, he goes to walk out the door, but... Just like Vince McMahon at the St. Valentine's Day Massacre, a bloodied Anderson sits up on his knees and gives a double bird to Angle, bringing him back into the cage. <sighs> so, yeah, so this is the point where he realise, oh, Kurt didn't actually throw the key away. He's just feigning it. And then, like the idiot Mr. America babyface gets tempted back because the heel did a bad gesture at him. <laughs> and then he walks immediately into a low blow and a mic check. Um, 
Anderson goes to crawl out the cage and he gets caught by the ankle and Angle puts him into the ankle lock. He fights out of this and sends Kurt into the cage and then wisely goes to crawl the other way, aka legs first. But Angle comes up from behind with the chain and chokes him out, spits on him, kicks him in the balls and walks over his dead body out the cage. That was a fucking badass ending. <laughs> I literally... I... Anderson's crotch is sprawled across the exit of the cage and Angle just stomps on it as he walks out of the cage. <laughs> it's like bad motherfucker right there. That was, I really dug that. Because you're right, like the corny baby face walked back in. Oh, I've got to get you because you were rude to me. But then he's like, no, fuck this. I'm the man. Take this and he's out. Mm. And um, yeah, I just thought it picked up big time. And I went from not giving a shit about this match whatsoever to really, really digging the ending. It just, it hooked me. I don't know if, if maybe you didn't quite get into it as much as I did, but I was surprised how much I liked this by the end of the match. Yeah, I'd say there was nothing wrong with this for large parts of the match, but I still couldn't find myself enjoying it. It was a bit too graphic in place in places with like the the tape and the warrior medal choking. Um, and I felt after Kurt did his moonsault spot, it went on a bit too long. So this wasn't to my liking, even though it had certain good qualities to it. Interesting. I didn't think I'd be coming on this show at any point to defend Ken Anderson against you. <laughs> Uh, but there we are. So, difference of opinion makes this healthy. Um, after the match, Angle gets on the mic and says he's going to be taking time off for a while. And then when he comes back, he's going after that belt. So, yeah, we'll put a little bit of this promo in. And Angle basically says, see you later for now, but I will be back with a vengeance. I want to say how bizarre here in St. Louis. God bless you. If you didn't already know, I'm going to step back, take a little time off, kind of regroup. I'm going to miss you guys while I'm gone. But when I come back, I only have one goal in mind, and that's winning the TNA World Heavyweight Championship. Oh, it's real! It's damn real! Very unkurt angle like exit really. He's got the win and now he's going to fuck off. <laughs> I think this is probably I'm assuming during time where Angle may have needed some time off due to injuries, um, addiction and whatnot, personal issues going on in his life. I can imagine he probably needed a break at this point. He probably needed a break from the instant he joined TNA in fairness. Yeah. From there, we go into our World Heavyweight title match, which is the Pope, D'Angelo De Niro, taking on AJ Styles, defending his TNA Championship. We get a pretty decent video package to start this one, and then before the match gets underway, Earl Hebner tells Ric Flair, you're out of here. <laughs> yes, I marked big time for that one. <laughs> Speaking of Flair, in the video package for this match, they have a set of sit-down interviews, and Flair is fucking bleeding during his sit-down interview. <laughs> He's just got to have absolute onion skin on that forehead by now. We'll we'll get into this later. 
probably later on during this show, maybe even the next show. But can nobody in TNA dress a wound? I know. <laughs> it's never going to heal. Jesus. Um, we get a We Want Flair chant from the crowd, which I really pop for. It was kind of that... It, it towed that fine line between horrible and smarky and sarcastic and funny for me. Well, he mentioned in his promo, we're in Flair country! Woo! Yeah. And um, Barash in the ring does the big fight intro um, for, with, the, with the guys both in the cage, which I kind of pop for as well. I always like when they do those intros just for one match. It gives it a big feel. I don't like when they still do this for blood feuds. Like, okay. how are we supposed to believe that these two guys really, really want to kill each other, yet they're willing to sit there in their respective corners while JB runs us through his shtick? Fair enough. Th- this one it's more sort of okay because we've not been feuding like that long, but... Yeah. We get a pretty hot crowd for this as well. Um, as they go for some pretty quick chain wrestling in the early in the early portion, um, we get a good clothesline and a ten punch spot from the Pope before AJ sends Pope into the cage and then hits a drop kick. Pope sends AJ into the cage and hits a DDT and then a back suplex and a power slam for a two count. AJ hits his flying forearm. It's not yet the phenomenal forearm. Pope hits a top rope headbutt for a two, and AJ hits a beautiful 450 for a two, and then comes off the top of the cage but misses. Um, Pope hits a code breaker for a two with a really hot crowd still getting into this before AJ steals a pen from the cameraman through the hole in the cage, as you alluded to earlier. Dabs the Pope in the eye with the pen, hits a clothesline and a Styles Clash for a 1-2-3 in what I would classify as a good match, but not a classic match by any stretch. It was good, it was decent, but it didn't steal the show. Yeah, I feel like that finish was rather deflating. We, we had Me and Kyle had this on the last show that we reviewed as well. Scott Steiner just hit Booker T with a pencil and then that was it. Um, there was one point as well, Pope does this absolutely ugly shin first drop no AJ does this absolutely ugly shin first drop on Pope I don't know if it was just Pope didn't know how to bump for it or if AJ just abandoned like a traditional shin breaker or something it looked really naff but um, yeah that stopped this from being in the same league as some of the other matches that we've been having during this timeline but I'd say it's probably my favourite match of this show so far. The crowd really had a great energy. There was a split between both guys. The near falls really picked up near the end. AJ's just casually great. And Pope's offence and his moveset's kind of interesting as well. So this always kept me enjoying the match. As someone who didn't watch um, TNA really during this period of time, I am very fascinated to see how Pope's crowd reaction follows on from this because on a very, very much smaller scale, I get I, I got reminded a little bit of the Kofi story coming into WrestleMania with the Pope here where he's a guy that the crowd had just gotten behind and rallied and wanted to see him win the big one, obviously not with the longevity or any of the, the emotional attachment here, but getting beat by a guy just stealing a pen from a cameraman is going to... I would imagine derail some of that momentum. So I'm very keen to see what happens next from here. Mm. Speaking of derailing momentum and what happens next, no time to breathe whatsoever. Cut straight to backstage because Eric Bischoff has turned up. Yeah, finally. 
that they literally that there's a reason people use TNA as a verb for cutting away from segments when it's not time to cut away. This is and literally TNA TNA the shit out of their title match. And when Bischoff finally does turn up and we cut backstage to see him, um, what's he doing? Uh, what is he doing? He's just like being slimy and shit, right? No, he's leaving. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so he's finally here, but he can't stay. Bloody hell. <laughs> I, just, I just left something. I've got to come and grab it. <laughs> I'm back. For a couple of seconds. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. So good. Um, which, of course, tells us it's time for the main event. It's the lethal lockdown match where every we get five, a five-minute opening period with the first two guys, and then every two minutes thereafter, we'll get a new participant until all eight men are in the match, and then the top will lower down, making the cage look a little bit more like a hell in a cell. But attached to the top of that cage is several weapons. I don't think I was paying attention properly because I don't remember them explaining that the top was still going to drop down with the weapons. And so that when it happened, I was like, oh, that is going to happen. Yeah, and from there, we go into the match beyond, which probably sounds familiar to most of you. <laughs> and it's a um, pin or submission from there on, just like War Games. Or Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. Yes, there you go. <laughs> The match starts with Abyss and Bobby Roode, or Robert Roode, as he's called here. Um, Abyss misses badly with a big boot, which Roode sells, which looked really, really bad. Um, He then begins to pound away on Roode, hits a backdrop before Roode comes off the top with a blockbuster. And then it's time for RVD to come out and give the faces the one-man advantage. It's very jarring to see the baby faces double-teaming someone in the cage, especially when one of the faces is the monster Abyss. Well, but you say that, so Taz, during the opening, informs us that Abyss has a hairline fracture from that car collision. Why is he starting the match? How knackered is Team Hogan if this is the guy that's starting your match? <laughs> I loved as well when Rude got backdropped. Backdropped, he screamed, Oh my god! Yeah, good, good stuff. Van Dam comes in and hits a spin kick and then a rolling monkey flip and rolling thunder before sending Rude into the cage. And then it's time for Desmond Wolf to come and join the party. He gets in and Bobby Roode hits a low blow and then Desmond hits a drop kick sending RVD into the cage. And we get a beat down from the heels for a moment. But Jeff Jarrett comes out with the heels still in control, having valiantly fought back despite having been a man down for a period of time. (laughs) Now, James, sorry, go on. Well, Van Damme, it was a nice touch, uh, like calling back to his earlier match with Storm because when he hit the monkey flip in this match... He took the time to measure his opponent. And in his first match in the night, that got counted into a net breaker hanging out of the corner. Absolutely. He learns, if nothing else, does Mr. Van Dam. Mm. The heels continue the beatdown, and then eventually James Storm comes out to help them out. Um, and then we get a major heel beatdown once the numbers are evened up again before Jeff Hardy's music hits and he comes out, or does he? No, he doesn't. We go backstage and we see Sting stood over him holding the baseball bat, having seemingly laid him out. And then we cut back to the ring to see RVD is blading a gusher and he's full of blood. Again, again. Uh, Desmond was going after Abyss's Hall of Fame ring here. Yeah, and Abyss did not want to give it up. Nope. 
The faces start to fight back, but Sting comes in and takes them all out with gut shots with his bat, refusing to take his coat off because apparently the aircon's up too high in the arena. Yeah, I have here. Uh, nobody really tries anything with Sting. No, he pretty much just gets free shots on everybody, doesn't he? Yeah. The roof then lowers, and we go into a bit of a beatdown with the weapons from the heels. Um, and my notes here immediately say, I can see where this is heading. Who's the one man that can save this team? <laughs> <laughs> Who likes to do the- crazy shit off tall objects? <laughs> We then get Beer Money uh, take, and Jeff Jarrett outside the cage. Um, Abyss gets some tacks out, and I think that's probably why Sting's kept his coat on, but I don't. it doesn't end up being true. Um, we then get James Storm hitting with a beer bottle and basically saves Sting from getting the beat down, and eventually Jeff Hardy comes out with the kendo stick. Um, Jeff Jarrett nails it, uh, one of Beer Money with a guitar shot. Hardy goes ballistic with the kendo stick. RVD hits a five-star frog splash. Um, and then Abyss chokeslam Sting onto the tax, but he has taken his coat off. He is still wearing a t-shirt, but he still takes the bump. Jeff Hardy goes up top of the cage and Beer Money both follow suit. He sets up a table on the roof, which I'm thinking, oh, that can't be too safe. Then Jeff Hardy puts James Storm on top of the table and sets up a ladder on top of the roof, which can be even less safe, and <laughs> jumps off the ladder. He can't do his swanton because the ladder doesn't have enough solid ground under it so he just splashes a la Shawn Michaels at Mania 10 through the table on the roof that was absolutely sick and insane yeah even with Rude being the counterweight there's no way that ladder was going to stand for a swan time no um, they, someone would have died exactly my highlight from the plunder brawl section of this match was when Desmond hit an axe handle on Jeff Jarrett with an actual axe handle <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, just before Jeff came out, everybody from Team Flair raised their hands. But yeah, it was so weird. You, you just don't need to pin someone or make them submit. What are you celebrating for? I don't know. How hard is it for one of the guys just to make the quick pin? <sighs> Deary me. From there, we have a um, Ric Flair's music hits, and he comes out and he tries to take on Abyss. Uh, take Abyss's ring, sorry. But this brings out the Hulkster. Um, he gets the bat, and Bischoff comes out and tries to talk Hogan out of swinging the bat at Flair. Um, takes a bat from him and then pulls out brass knuckles, and you think he's about to turn heel and hand them to Flair, but no. He gives them to the Hulkster, who nails Flair, who immediately blades before popping up and taking another brass knuckle shot. Um, we get some really, during this lengthy sort of Hogan Bischoff flair moment we've got some really long naps from everybody else involved in the match who have basically pulled up pillows and blankets for this period of the the match Hogan tosses flair into the cage four times flair goes absolutely nuts tears his t-shirt off and then just falls under the tax this uh, use of the tax apparently is like an alarm clock to Abyss because he immediately wakes up and hits a black hole slam on Desmond Wolf for the one, two, three in a very anticlimactic ending to what was otherwise a beautiful, be- beautiful, hectic brawl. And of course, Hogan's music plays to end. <laughs> well, of course. <sighs> this match just had, again, so much nothing brawling and the closing stretch was comical, really. Um Everyone's selling like death while Jeff Hardy and then Flair and Hogan and Bischoff have their spots. I really didn't care about the whose side is Bischoff on. 
storyline and I thought the execution of his no I am actually on Hogan's side thing was a bit crap like they tried to sell it all throughout the match questioning like oh beer money's on team flair but they do favors for Bischoff what's going on here not interested this this is a nothing match for me yeah, just um, I, I I enjoyed the match, but I found the storyline a little weird, and then the cynic in me just waited for Hulk to come out and save everybody, and that's pretty much what happened, which is the really disappointing part because I thought had they just let this go, it was building to something quite good. Mm. Right after the match concludes, we get an advert for Sacrifice next month, and it closes on a line from the Hulkster: "TNA Wrestling, make the change." Hmm. Yeah, they obviously have. Yeah, I think we need a few more changes here, to be honest. Yeah, well, that's it's it's interesting because I think, like, after watching these two shows, I um, and we'll get into WWE next, but lockdown was for me the one that I enjoyed watching the most. So I um, I actually really dug this, and this is, I'm gonna actually say one of my favorite TNA episodes we've watched yet. Wow, I I'm amazed. Yeah. For me personally, all this had going for it was the opener, kind of, the X Division title match and the world title match. Yeah, I actually, yeah, I probably just enjoyed it quite a bit more than you did, I guess. But um, I, w- I would definitely recommend this one. Um, as far as someone who hasn't watched a lot of TNA, this, um, I, I don't know, it, it's not necessarily that it was great all the way through, but I think maybe because I watched them in the opposite order to you, this wasn't dull. Even the stuff that I didn't like was bad enough that we could rag on it and laugh at it and make fun of it. But as we're going to go to Extreme Rules in a second, I just found too much of that was dull. And as a result, the good and the bad and the highs and the lows of TNA really made for a more enjoyable experience. I mean, that is like the definitive TNA experience at the time, peaks and valleys. Although, like, I have to say, like... Compared to the TV show, I've really been enjoying the TV show, and like that's had lots of peaks and drops there. But I, I just felt that lockdown was not in the league what we've been seeing on TV from TNA. There you go. Um, I suggest everybody go and watch and decide for yourself then, because yeah. we're not going to come to a conclusion on this one. <laughs> Should we go and see why maybe I felt that way and what was the what was on offer from the WWE up against it this month? Uh, yes, I've got a memorabilia lane thing for you as well. Good man. Um, so it's about time to hit Nas and then we'll have a quick chat about that. I'll never take a trip down memory lane. <laughs> So this is something you pointed out to me on Twitter that probably says something about me that I didn't even consider that this was a slightly unusual bit of merchandise. Yeah. But catch your minds back to 2005 and portable video playing stuff, uh, 
video media was quite novel back then. Sony, they had the PlayStation Portable console out, and they had their format was the UMDs that they put the games on, but they'd also put film and TV shows on it as well. And yeah, I, I, yep. I got the Monday Night War documentary on UMD. Wow. That is a blast from the past. Yeah. Well, it's because... See, back then in Bolton, we didn't have a CEX. I didn't... I wasn't savvy enough to trust any second-hand sellers on Amazon at that time. So, like... Yeah. Wrestling was not... The second-hand market for wrestling stuff just didn't really exist. But because UMDs were on PSPs, game stores would take them in as like trading and so you get secondhand umds there at like game or game station and i saw monday night wars there it was like two quid I'm like well oh, fuck it i'm getting this i want to see this hell yeah um obviously technology wasn't quite as um as advanced over here at the time we did have limited access to this stuff but actually it was not probably more than a year or two before this um speaking of secondhand media for for wrestling i was actually going around to all the video stores on the north side of brisbane and offering to purchase their old vhs tapes of 80s and 90s pay-per-views and was quite successful i had a huge collection at one point wow I've um I since I actually just stuck them all in the trash years ago, which I realise now is a mistake because I could make some money with them on eBay. But um, when DVD and the network became a thing, I just got rid of them because they took up so much space. VHS and I actually didn't have a VCR anymore. But at one point, I was on a mission and I came very close to owning every WWE pay per view ever released on any sort of video format. Oh, holy crap! Yeah, um, I then I pretty much stopped collecting at the same time that wrestling became less interested to me in the late 2000s. So there was, I was getting close and um, I guess it got harder and harder when um, they started releasing a pay-per-view every month or 14, 15 a year, as we were talking about on Twitter the other day and then putting them all on DVD. So it became an expensive hobby for something I wasn't enjoying watching so much anymore. Mm, yeah. I first made the switch to DVD when uh, it was actually the Royal Rumble 2003. Um, because we got an Xbox then, so I could play DVDs in my room. Nice one. I actually remember the first time I ever got DVDs as well. It's funny, I got a DVD player just so that I could make my second or third ever order off. Back at the time, it was called Shop Zone. And I got, and this was, they were quite expensive actually to order things back in this day before they got released in all the countries. But I got the NWO Back in Black DVD off Shop Zone. I think it cost me $50, which is about double what you'd pay for a DVD now. Um, and what I got one other as well. I'm trying to think what other one I got, but um, it was definitely NWO back in black. And I think maybe this is my yard from Undertaker might have been the other one I got. And yeah, so two DVDs cost me the whopping sum of $100 or about 50 quid. Holy crap. We first yeah. got a DVD player Christmas 2002 and we got uh, Star Wars Episode 2 and Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring. There you go. It's an absolute trip down memory lane today. <laughs> All right. Well, now that we've um, visited the memories in the archives of old video format, let's have a look at slightly newer video format, Extreme Rules in HD from the WWE. Let's get into it. Please secure all loose objects. Fasten your seatbelt. 
and hold on for a maximally entertaining thrill ride. At a historic WrestleMania, some superstars seized their perfect moment. Others did not. I'm invoking my rematch clause. Tonight, rage will be unleashed. Vengeance will be sought. Tonight, Extreme Rules. Rey Mysterio takes on CM Punk. I'm willing to sacrifice my hair. I'm going to shave that head of yours and put an end to the straight edge society. And Chris Jericho locked inside of a steel cage. I am going to end the career of Edge. Nothing is going to stop me from spearing you through this cage. Triple H against Sheamus. The street fight. I'm going to beat you so viciously. The King of Kings will never be the same again. You think you're a bad dude? Then I'm deadly. The Viper Randy Orton against Jack Swagger. It is an extreme Nothing can stand in my way. I'm going straight for the Viper's neck. And I'm going to cut its head off. John Cena versus Batista. Two men will battle. Oh, Only oh, one man is standing. I will be the WWE champion. I'm going to regain my WWE championship. I will be the last man standing. John Cena can't beat me. And the champ will be here. a decent open video opening video package um which i'll splice a little bit in here um certainly makes a show seem like it's going to be decent and then we go to what's supposed to be our opening matchup triple h taking on sheamus but before the entrance we see sheamus has attacked triple h backstage and drops his lead pipe that he attacked him with very similar to a little angle we just saw in tna i guess so yeah so we skip out of that match and we go to a number one contenders match. It's a tag team gauntlet where Shomi's come out first and they cut a promo on Brett, which brings out Teddy Long and he gets annoyed with the arguing from the Miz. So he basically says every time Miz argues, he's going to add a new team to the match. And if any of the three teams he gets up to beat Shomi's, they're going to get a title shot tomorrow night on Raw. This annoys the Big Show eventually shuts the Miz up before any more teams can be added. And the first team to come out is the Truth and... Uh, sorry, our truth and John Morrison. Did you spot uh, when Big Show clocked what was going on? He covered Miz's mouth, but Miz was still cutting his promo through Yeah, it was Showtime. pretty funny, actually, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, it was good. Um, yeah, when Triple H got clattered with the lead pipe twice, I'm like, wow, Triple H looks fucked. <laughs> It'd take a pretty superhuman effort to come back from that. Yeah, and when Teddy Long arrived, I was like, oh, tag match player. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly what he did, several of them. I loved it when The Miz came out. This is like our first real instance of seeing heel Michael Cole transition over to regular WWE TV because... Um, like Miss was trying to get the crowd to sing along saying they're the greatest tag team ever and Cole noticed that his broadcast colleagues weren't joining in so it's like come on guys <laughs> heal Michael Cole I'm really sad I missed this era <laughs> you shouldn't be um that opening <laughs> video package it was uh, a couple of lines that stood out for me it's like please secure all loose objects 
Yep. And then <laughs> hold on for a maximally entertaining thrill ride. Mm, we'll see about that. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that stood out to me as well, Edge threatened to spear Chris Jericho through the cage. Wouldn't that mean that he loses the cage match? A la Roman and Brock? Or... Vince McMahon and Stone Cold St. Valentine's Day Massacre. <laughs> oh, dear. Keep sneaking that one in now. <laughs> um, yeah, so you mentioned Morrison and Truth are the first team in this gauntlet match. Uh, have you seen Raw the next night yet? No, I have not as of yet. Right. Be- sorry, the previous night. Um, the previous week, rather. Um Something happens on that show that makes it a minor miracle that our truth is here. I'm interested in looking forward to that. I never ever watch them out of order, but knowing that I had a fair bit going on the last two weeks and you I'd already put you off um once last week, I thought I better get these finished and then I'll watch the others afterwards. So that's my next mission is to get back on that roar and then obviously impact afterwards. Mm. Um Cole as well casually mentions that Morrison pinned Jack Swagger on SmackDown the previous week. Yeah, everybody pins Jack Swagger on SmackDown. I think I could probably do that. (laughs) Before we get into the match very finally, there's a few signs of note here as well. One was Orton for Prez. Oh, okay. Um, Certainly take a few policies in a different direction. Yeah. Um, Kiss me, it's my seventh birthday. <laughs> That's on the nose. <laughs> That's on the nonce, more like. Um, and I thought, that, is it um, pun intended with seven? Oh, <laughs> oh, that's <is> brilliant! Meow, meow, meow. And uh, oh, one final one. Right after they introduced the show, someone requested. We want John Cena versus The Rock. Oh, um, yeah, that'll be a barn burner, that one. (laughs) Not got along. No. (sighs) Once the match gets started, uh, Morrison hits a nice arm drag, and then Truth comes in and they hit a double hip toss, and then a leg drop slash shooting star press for a two count. Um, We get told that tomorrow will be a special three-hour draft episode of Raw, so that won't be the next episode, but the one after. And I'm already dreading more (laughs) three-hour Raws. We get a big chop from Show, and then he goes to work on Truth. Miz comes in and hits a big boot for a two. Truth comes back with a spin kick before Morrison locks in a triangle on the ropes to the big show, but this gets him disqualified, so they give up their chance for a tag title match tomorrow on Raw. Yeah, it didn't break the count in time. Bit bit of a silly finish, that one, but whatever. More idiot babyface antics, really, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much. We go into our second team, which is MVP and Mark Henry coming out. MVP immediately runs out and tries to pin the big show who had been choked, but only gets a two count. Uh, Miz comes in and eats a clothesline for a two, and then we get a back suplex, a clothesline, and the balling elbow drop. But big show makes the save, hits him with the... Um, Sorry, um, MVP hits the playmaker on Miz, goes to pin him, but from the floor, Big Show comes in and swings the knockout punch, and that allows Miz to pick up the one, two, three, and they eliminate the second team. They're rolling. Yeah. 
We then bring out the third team, um, and as you can probably guess if you've been listening to this timeline, is it's the Hart Dynasty out with Brett the Hitman Hart. They come out, knock Big Show off the apron, and hit the Hart attack on Miz for the one, two, three, and they will get another shot at the tag titles. Yeah, so not to get too spoilerish for the Raw beforehand, but they couldn't do the angle uh, where Brett has to call Miz's team the greatest team ever. So Miz has demanded it the next night on Raw. Interesting. Um, that obviously, the travel issues with the volcano prevented that. Um, I thought it was a bit shit of the hearts to benefit from all the hard work of all the other teams. Yeah, I was thinking about this. In this kind of scenario, do you want to be first so that you can't, you know, like obviously the first team comes out wins and you were like, yes, I'm last and you're screwed. But then, you know, do you want to be last and have the opportunity to pick up the, pick the bones or risk not getting in? I mean, like from a logical standpoint, I guess being last or being not first because you got a bank on well they're the champions so you figured that they'd be better than their first challenger and then you just have faith in yourself and then you think okay well now they're a little bit knackered as well um but yeah i just thought it was a not a very face like way to gain the number one contendership and <laughs> really casual use of brett as well like they're rushing yeah. out to the ring you're like oh hey Brett Hart's here the, um, the bloom is coming off the rose already for Brett oh dear um, but it, it was fun for the most part like true for Moz's run at the start was good and MVP did alright just you know it, like, it, was, it was okay yeah more so than TNA's this was definitely more of a TV match than a pay-per-view match yeah we then go to Todd Grisham. Remember him? <laughs> Give us a... He was a um, nondescript WWE announcer number four. Although, um, the year before this, he had a very good partnership with Jim Ross on SmackDown. I thought it was kind of like oh. when Jim Ross and Gordon Soley were together. Like your double play-by-play guys. It worked rather well. well there you go. He gives an update on Triple H, or attempts to, but Sheamus interrupts and says Triple H can man up or forfeit the match. So we pretty much all know what's going to happen from there. Mm-hmm. A bit of paint-by-numbers booking coming up. Medical personnel are evaluating Triple H as we speak. There's been no determination yet as to whether Triple H will be able to compete in it. The Triple H is too much of a coward to face me tonight. And he should just come out and admit it. Later tonight, I'm going to the ring. And Triple H can man up and face me. Or he can lose by forfeit. Either way, I win. We then go to one of the matches, probably the match I was most looking forward to on the show, CM Punk taking on Rey Mysterio. And if Rey Mysterio wins, Punk will have to shave his head like the rest of the straight-edge society have done. Mm. So there's a barber's chair ringside with lots of Gillette-branded shaving gel. You can tell who the sponsors are. Yeah, a bit of product placement. Striker calls Serena, who's part of the straight-edge society, the anti-diva, what? Paige got known as for a little bit of time. There you go. It's a nickname they just was waiting for the right person to land it on. Yeah. Fairly disgusting interchange between the commentators to start this match. Cole asks King, how would you like to have hair like Serena's? 
and King goes, I got hair like Serena's, just not on my head. Oh, I know, dirty, dirty man. <laughs> Ugh, I need a wash now. <laughs> I did not need to know that about Jerry Lawler. The match gets started with some strikes from Punk and then a drop kick from Ray. Ray's got some baggy pants with studs here. He looks like his old filthy animal self had a baby with axe or smash from demolition. <laughs> so a bit of a weird look. Um, Punk hits a power slam for a two before tossing Ray out of the ring and Serena hits him with a big boot. We get a slingshot sent on from Punk for a two before Ray heads, um, comes back with a big kick for a two. Striker annoys me with a lot of sound bites to answers on the questions here. My striker annoyance on commentary starts to really pick up in this match. It just annoys me no end. Uh, it sounds like, um, maybe you'll have a few examples later on, but it sounds like he's kind of annoying the other two on commentary as well. I got that vibe. I actually annoyed me so much. I didn't, I've written a few things down as we go, but not much. Um, he just annoyed me to the point where I didn't want to listen anymore. <sighs> and I know I've picked on him enough in the past, so he kind of just like grinded me in this one. Um, Gallows hits a cheap punch um, to Ray for a two count for Punk. Punk hits a backbreaker and a surfboard and then a clothesline for a two and a triple uh, dealing of leg drops for a two before hitting the gory special. And then Serena trips Ray and both her and Gallows get tossed out of here. So WWE fires back with their own. You're out of here. <laughs> Brilliant. Ray then hits a baseball slide um, and a plunger and a springboard leg drop for a two. Punk gets a top rope clothesline for a two before Ray counters the GTS in a ra- into a Rana for two. Hits a 619, but someone from underneath the ring drops a chair, which distracts the idiot referee, then crawls around the other side and powerbombs Ray on the floor, sends him back in the ring where Punk hits a GTS on the scraps to pick up the one, two, three and keep his hair another day. Yeah, what do you think, Lee? I... I enjoyed it. This is by far the best match on this show, in my opinion. Um, but I don't know. I, I thought it, it was a good swerve, I guess. But I, I just fully expected Punk to have his head shaved and wanted to see how they got there. And then, yeah, unknown man from under the ring hits the power bomb, and that's it. Um, do you actually know who the man that came out from under the ring was? Because I don't know. Uh, believe it or not, it's Joey Mercury. Oh, there you go. So he was someone who had been released previously by the WWE because of substance issues. So now he's come back all reformed under the Straight Edge Society banner. There you go. Um, but no, I enjoyed this. What did you think? Good stuff. Yeah, I feel, uh, not to spoil too much of the rest of this show, but this is the best show across both Lockdown and Extreme Rules for me. Oh, wow. Loads of near falls the crowd bought into, built up really well. Great back and forth, great counters, just very pleasing. And yeah, I liked the build up of the straight egg society it's like even though the original members got taken out punk still had a game plan yeah i didn't i, I don't disagree with much of that. That, that this is pretty good um and speaking of pretty good we go to the crime time exploding <laughs> crime time explodes <laughs> It's just a shame that this was wasted in the mid-card because this had WrestleMania main event written all over it. <laughs> I completely forgot that this had happened until the match get, got queued up while I was playing the show. I had no idea this ever happened. 
Um, I loved Crime Time. They were around right as I was checking out, but when they first came in, I dug the hell out of them. I thought they were cool and different, and I thought a Crime Time John Cena uh, stable had a lot of legs, and they never really gave it a go. No, they, they had that great bit where they just ripped the hell out of JBL's limo, and then it bought them some equity. Like They had some good feuds with... Legacy and Miz and Morrison after that, but they're still very much a def- in the like tag team specific rut. Yeah, and we get the um, this is a leather strap match, by the way, and it might be you know long time partners exploding as we just said, but it's just a usual strap match booking with lots of touching the the corners and then your partner touching the corners at the same time before realizing and fighting. Um, I put here in my notes, crime time explodes while the crowd all sleeps. Oh. <laughs> there was no reaction to anything in this. Um, during the heel beatdown segment of the match, Shad actually starts rhyming. He says, one, two, Shad is coming for you. Three, four, you better lock your door. To which Matt Striker yells out, lock your door, fool. And I just think instantly of the little uh, internet meme of, that's racist. <laughs> oh, boy. Striker business as usual. <laughs> JTG actually sneaks sneaks three corners as you would expect, and then hits a sling blade and picks up the fourth corner for the baby face come from behind win, which happens in almost every leather strap match ever. And yeah, dull affair ends ends that way. Yeah, underwhelming. Shad was kind of shit. Thought JTG was decent. It's really weird to me. Like I. I now that I finally remember this feud, I remember that around the time uh, when the split happens, people were like, oh, Vince is probably creaming himself so that he can push Chad here. Like, and I was thinking, uh, have you not been paying attention to the actual shows that have been going on in the run-up? Because JTG got the ring time, all the ring time in the run-up to this show, and he went on a big winning streak going into this, whereas Chad would just be on like runnings and promos to confront him. And, um, well, we're not, we're not going to deal with SmackDown guys anytime soon in the rest of our timeline. But spoiler alert, Shad gets released within a few weeks of this. Yeah, it was... Uh, and the other thing that sort of got me, got me during this match is both of them downgraded their look as a result of breaking up. And it just... Yeah, nothing about this was good. Um, Shad just went to basic shorts um, and, you know, just looked like nondescript tall wrestler number one. And JTG let his hair out and wore jeans with rhinestones on and looked like a budget um, Andre 3000. For, for, I mean, half and half jeans as well. Like one leg was a short leg and the other was a long leg. Yeah, it just looked terrible. Neither of them came out of this looking good. No. Literally or in wrestling sense either. True. From there, we go to Todd again, where he says Triple H has neck and nerve issues and probably won't be in the match. So get ready for him to be in the match very soon. (laughs) (laughs) And we go to our worst book champion in history, Jack Swagger, defending his title in the mid card, coming out for the first entrance to take on actual main eventer Randy Orton in an Extreme Rules match. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've missed the real crowning glory of Smack, uh, Swagger's title win because he beat both Edge and Jericho in a triple threat match when SmackDown was in England. And I remember that being a good match as well. 
Oh, fair enough. He gets the better of some chain wrestling early on and runs around a bit before hitting a Northern Lights suplex on the floor, which was pretty good. They brawl along the floor for a moment before getting back in the ring and Swagger hits a belly-to-belly for a two, but has a shot with the title belt blocked. Orton comes back with some strikes before eating a power slam from Swagger for a two. It's a pretty slow, dull match. Eventually, Orton gets a belt shot and a power slam for a two. Orton then hits two pretty sick trash can shots before going into his Garvin Stomp knockoff and hitting his pretty nice-looking rope DDT. He sets up a chair to hit the RKO on, but as he goes for it, gets dumped on the chair himself, and then Swagger hits a gut-wrench power bo- power bomb for the one, two, three, um, in a pretty pretty dull match. I mean, he got the victory over him fairly clean, but it still was pretty shitty in my opinion. What did you think? I have to be honest, I rather liked this. Um, I felt like Swagger at times looked a bit lost and a bit aimless, especially midway through the match. And commentary were proper burying him for being hesitant with the way he was wrestling this match. Like, cheers, guys. Way to help out your world champion, you know. Um, but <laughs> I was, I have here, uh, this was probably the highlight of his title reign. And then in brackets, he gets RKO'd post-match as I'm writing this. <laughs> Yep, on the floor. Orton immediately takes back his heat and walks out like a main eventer, leaving mid-card champion Swagger laid out. Uh, Yeah, the the extreme spots were pretty decent, even if they were rather sparsely used, but it didn't quite live up to the promise of Swagger playing to his advantage early on, like he was getting with the riding time. And he, it's that lovely, it's like an amateur version of a spine buster where he gets like the double leg from underneath and then sinks back down. I love that move. Yeah, fair enough. It was, um, it just wasn't for me, I guess. We then go into Sheamus coming out to try and pick up his forfeit victory, but of course Triple H storms out the trainer's room for the match, comes down the aisle and hits the classic SmackDown 1 spear and punches, um, clothesline Sheamus outside the ring, and we brawl along the outside for a while. We get back in just long enough for a spinebuster and then go and brawl along the outside some more, and then we get a slow beatdown from Sheamus, and this is sleep-inducing, and I really struggle to stay awake during this one. Yeah, various notes on my match uh, reference the fact that this is going on way too long, given that it's supposed to be an angle and not a match. Um, Has Seamus forgotten it's a street fight? Oh no, wait, now he's remembered his pipe. Um, (laughs) Seamus' razor's edge is called Pale Justice, according to Michael Cole. Oh, and I just have here, like, my note on the bottom of this says, this is a dull pay-per-view considering it's called Extreme Rules. Like, there's just nothing exciting happening on this show whatsoever, and we're a fair chunk of the way through. Well, yeah, so it's like you're saying, Sheamus is not working this match with any kind of urgency whatsoever, given the fact that he was willing to jump Triple H at the start of this show and absolutely wallop him with his pipe. So, you knacker him with your pipe, but now you're in a next uh, a street fight. You decide to just wrestle a straight match to beat him down. <laughs> you know, <laughs> finish the fucker. Come on. This is yeah. This is a show that started off with the heel attacking the babyface with a lead pipe backstage, and you think, oh, like this is going to be a nice, violent, really bloody, live up to the name show, and it just yeah, it, it does not go up from there. Um, in the ring, Triple H 
Triple H hits a DDT and sells his neck pretty well, in fairness. Sheamus hits a backbreaker and a running power slam. We get the face buster from Triple H. And then Sheamus hits uh, Triple H in the face with the pipe for a two. Triple H gets a kendo stick and then hits it to the back and the ribs and then finally the head of Sheamus, which did look pretty brutal, to be fair. We get a backdrop on the ramp from Sheamus and a broke kick uh, and then one in the ring. Pushes the ref, uh, Triple H pushes the referee away who tries to help him. Crotch chops Sheamus, who gives him two more broke kicks for the one, two, three. And tough guy Triple H refuses a stretcher, so eats another broke, broke kick on the top of the ramp. And this, yeah, we've both already said it, but it was just way too long. And Triple H, when he had the kendo stick, his arm was suddenly... The very first swing, he used both his arms and was like, oh, no, shit, uh, I'm supposed to be armless here. Um, yeah, just when Triple H's arm got too fucked up right at the start so that he couldn't do his pedigree, you knew where this match was going immediately. And yet they carried on so much like it was under the pretense that this is like any other back back and forth pay-per-view match. It's just useless. It's like when you're playing um, like Chaos Theory games and someone strikes out a choice for you, so you've only got two options that you're stuck with, and you're still trying to, you know, they've basically eliminated the possibility of Triple H winning this match in the first four or five minutes, and they carried on for like fifteen more. Yeah, it was just not for me this whatsoever. It was just another dull affair. Uh, yeah, very much so. Uh, everything after the backdrop on the ramp was fine, but they left. They tried to put too much hope onto Triple H coming back for what was really an angle-worthy match. 100%. From there, we go to Josh Matthews, who is backstage with Edge, who says he won't be letting Jericho escape the cage, and he won't be trying to escape the cage. So, I don't know, Edge is a really psychotic tough guy baby face never really worked for me i much preferred him as a heel if i'm being honest it was very kind of him to reiterate the rules of the cage match in his promo <laughs> yeah well considering lockdown it's probably not wouldn't hurt to put the cage match rules out so we know which ones are the proper ones ah, true that's fair i mean it's, it's just thinking like oh he's so focused on this match and yet he can talk in exposition for like 30 seconds we then go to our next extreme contest on extreme rules it's the extreme makeover match <laughs> they're cutting to um yeah so it's a further women's championship michelle mccool defending against beth phoenix and there's a table in front of a commentary table with like household objects and a makeup table and cold quips that this is what matt striker's bathroom looks like <laughs> oh that's nice it's this is I, I wrote down here that this is essentially the good housekeeping match revisited without the chauvinistic heel for everyone to rally against yeah this is they're trying to morph it more into the superficial heel and beth being the atypical woman or atypical women's athlete in the wwe at the time yeah. <laughs> in the ring, Beth hits a couple of clotheslines for a two before Layla and Vicky Guerrero, who were out with Michelle, interfere. Uh, Michelle gets hairspray in the eyes and then 
uses um, an ironing board against Beth. We get a baseball slide from Beth into the ironing board. Michelle accidentally sprays Vicky Guerrero and Layla somehow at the same time in the eyes. Beth then tosses um, them over the makeup table. It's pretty awful. We get um, Beth with some shots with a with a bucket and then a two and a glam slam for a three. So she picks up the title, but it's just it, it's more story than match again. And there's no real meat on the bones here for me. What did you think? I have fun with this, to be honest. I thought Beth was a surprisingly good baby face. She was very sprightly early on, doing like roll-ups out of the corner, just like Michelle was very surprisingly coping well in a brawling match against a stronger opponent. Some of the spots were pretty idiotic. Like, Vicky handed Michelle an iron to hit Beth with, but then forgot to let go of the power cord. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> Like it did get a bit too home alone in places, um, but they kind of made the gimmick somewhat worthwhile. And uh, new champion, good to see. I thought Beth was pretty over, especially with the women in the crowd. Yeah, I'll give you that. That's definitely true. Um, I'm, I'm definitely okay with the finish. I just didn't enjoy the match. Josh is then with Y2J, who cuts a pretty dull heel promo against Edge. So I guess this is the match where the two guys just don't do anything to really hook me. Um, and they're coming into their big cage match. So it's Edge taking on Chris Jericho. Now, in that promo that Jericho cut, Josh references that Jericho had lost to an NXT rookie, which he doesn't mention by name. So then Jericho refers to the same rookie as a no-name rookie and at that point josh is like uh actually his name's heath slater i'm like also oh, now <laughs> you decide he deserves a name do you <laughs> jesus what oh, good old josh once the match gets started jericho gets a chair but edge baseball slides him into it before they brawl along the outside before the bell both eventually do get in and then edge commences a beat down while jericho tries to escape Eventually, he sends Edge into the cage and then drop kicks him into the cage, which is a pretty cool spot, and puts on a chin lock in the steel cage match. Uh, yeah, right at the very start, the, the ref at the door was such an idiot. Like, Jericho was asking to get into the cage and then, like, no, refused. And so the referee's like, oh, okay, fuck it, <laughs> closes. And then when Jericho actually asks again, he's like, come on, open it up, and the referee won't open it. It's like, you got to get the match started, mate, come on. <laughs> Edge gets backdropped into the cage and then he um, hits a... Sorry, backdrops Jericho into the cage and hits a flapjack and then he's impaler DDT for a two. Jericho comes back with a bulldog and the walls of Jericho. Edge fights out and hits a big boot and then Jericho slams the door into the head of Edge and goes to leave down the steps. But comes... Um, sorry, but he comes back in... I'm um, sorry, he gets dragged back in from the floor but has a hold of a steel chair. Doesn't help him immediately as Edge hits a spear for a two... Jericho fights back with a code breaker for a two and they fight on top of the cage for a while. Um, they come down eventually. Jericho, uh, sorry, catches Edge coming off the ropes. Spring, springs him into a code breaker, which was quite cool. Mm-hmm. Only picks up a two though. Edge then hits a chair to the leg of Jericho and Jericho begs as Edge stalks him. 
Edge tries to act menacingly and work over the leg while the crowd are pretty lukewarm to it in fairness before hitting a spear for the three in what I've considered a pretty weak anticlimactic finish for a big cage match. What did you think about this one, Doug? Yeah, that finish totally killed the crowd here. This is, um, I'm not spoil it, but it looks like we've got like a character change coming for Edge. Like the, the way he was so intense at the end, it just kind of lost his popular support a little bit. Um, did you hear after Jericho did that code breaker off the top and then Edge kicked out, he went, you stupid idiot, stay down. <laughs> uh, Gotta got love Jericho. <laughs> um, now, this is probably my memory of wrestling at the time playing into this. This match got a lot of flack at the time, I remember it. but um, So my expectations were kind of low. But I felt like other than the anticlimactic finish, I enjoyed this. I thought there was some good stuff around Jericho's escape attempts and they made some good use of the cage. My one issue um, really that stops this being like a, a definite recommend here is Jericho, in the weeks up to this on SmackDown, was going after Edge's Achilles tendon again and like squished it against the steps and stuff. And he promised in his pre-match promo, I'm, I'm going to retire Edge. I'm going to totally knacker his leg. He's going to be on crutches again. And then he doesn't go for the leg until four minutes before the finish. <laughs> like they, they, could, they wrestled a completely different match to what they were billing going into it. Yeah, it just... It just came off pretty flat. Like there was all this supposed intensity before the match, and then it just ended up being, especially for a cage match standards, pretty dull to me. Like I just never really got into this at all. Yeah, it did feel like it, again it went on too long. Yeah, not for me. Um, after that, we go to our main event, which is, and I, I will pre-warn everyone on this because in case I come across a little bit too negative on the show last man standing matches are pretty much my least favorite giving match of all and it's John Cena taking on Batista in a last man standing match for Cena's WWE title I just find last man standing matches in general to be too much sat waiting and counting and they bore the shit out of me (laughs) I wouldn't raise your hopes too highly for this one then (laughs) we get a video package showing um Jack Swagger as the chump that he is getting clotheslined by Cena on the floor and they're just walking out while Cena attacks Batista. One clothesline is enough to just send Jack Swagger packing with his tail between his legs. Oh my god. And Justin Roberts gives us the big match intros here, which we talked about on the TNA show, so this is no different. The big blood feud for the title gets the big match intros. And how do they start this big blood feud? What's the first thing they do in this match, Lee? Lock up. Lock up! What the fuck? <laughs> Screw you! <Yeah. laughs> uh, when they do get wrestling, Cena hits a shoulder block and Batista bails. Gets back in the ring, bails again. Cena hits a bulldog before eventually Batista fights back and takes over the offense, working over the legs of Cena, which is fairly intelligent for a last man standing match. Oh, I guess so. Um, anytime there's an elbow or a clothesline, they stop and wait for the count. What the fuck? Yeah, which is why I hate these matches. Um, so here there's a clothesline and a suplex, which gets a seven count. <laughs> Fucking hell. Yep. Um, even on the video games, you wouldn't get past a three for that. <laughs> well, the, the, your stamina meter would be nowhere near depleted enough for that to happen. Not even close. 
makes you think Batista picked the wrong kind of match because if a suplex and a clothesline was enough for a seven, he should have just picked normal rules. <laughs> I suppose Cena was kind of taking advantage of it to get a break and to get breathing space from Batista. But then again, that's a very heelish thing for Dudley Do-Right babyface John Cena to do. Indeed. Batista goes back to the legs and locks on the figure four, uh, just like his former mentor Ric Flair used to use um, before... Cena goes into some pretty crazy facials in the hold and just makes a bit of a mockery of it for me. Oh my god. Eventually he reverses it and we get a double clothesline which puts both men down for a seven count. <laughs> we get the five moves of doom from Cena to booze from the crowd and Batista gets a wrench and hits Cena in the gut with it. He then gets a chair and John Cena hits an AA on it for a nine count. Batista pushes the referee into the ropes while Cena's up top, so he gets crotched and eats two spears for an eight count. Batista gets a table and kicks John Cena through it, which is pretty lame, and also gets an eight count, and then sends him through an announce table for a nine count. So, yeah, the counts are starting to add up here, and there's very little moves in between. Uh, right before, I think it's just before that table spot. Uh, there's a kid in the crowd that just yells, I hate you, Batista! And Dave yells, I hate you too! (laughs) And the hatred carries on to the commentary table because I think this is what you were alluding to earlier. I don't know what what he says that finally makes him snap, but Cole just turns to Stryker and says, I've got an idea, why don't you call a damn match? (laughs) And I'm like, I've got an idea, why don't you not go home? (laughs) Oh, he's terrible. Uh, Batista then hits a spine buster through the table. They're all good spots in isolation, but they're just nothing in between. It's way too slow. This gets a nine. A Batista bomb gets a nine. He gets stairs, but Cena um, locks in an STF, which makes Batista tap. Eventually, he lets go, and that gets a nine. We get a dick to the post spot from Batista uh, from Cena to Batista, and then he duct tapes Batista's legs around the post. Uh, it takes a while to do this, and the crowd are having none of it. They are not impressed with what they can see coming. And, of course, that is the lame, cheesy finish to the Blood Feud Last Man Standing match. Batista can't stand up because his legs are taped together around the ring post. Again, playing into what I mentioned earlier about maybe Cena was taking his time with the count to get a break. Is taking the cheap way out like this, the right thing for Dudley Do-Right babyface John Cena to be doing? I would think not, and it's the sort of lame, dull way thing for him to be doing. Absolutely. Terrible, terrible finish. Um, there was one spot earlier on, it was uh, the attitude adjustment through the announce table, and Cena stood on the steps to get the, uh, the leverage to getting through it properly. That was like my favourite spot of the match for me. A little bit different like with the stuff that they used to do around the tables back in the early 2000s. Um, This match is like the opposite of a shit sandwich for me. The start and the finish really, really bothered me, especially the finish. The action in the middle was mostly good, but it didn't always escalate uh, really all that evenly and... The early counts and the early goings just annoyed the hell out of me. Yeah, this didn't do it for me at all, if you can't tell. Um, I just really disliked this match. I thought it was it was slow, plodding, boring, and a shit finish. So, yeah, it didn't, didn't do it for me whatsoever. It's like... Cena and Batista 
So I, I think we both rather liked their WrestleMania matchup. They had a really good yep. match at SummerSlam in 2008 that was just a plain wrestling match. These are the kind of guys that you think would thrive outside of a regular wrestling match when you can get the plunder involved and you can go a bit outlandish with all the spots around the outside and stuff. And really the opposite happens. This is worse than their regular straight wrestling matches. Yeah, it was just, there was nothing there for me. I didn't like this. And it pretty much sealed the fate of this show for me because I, for the most part, didn't enjoy this show. Did you Did you enjoy Extreme Rules overall? I felt it was to higher standard than the television that we've been watching at the time. Um, like I watch these shows chrono- in chronological order, which maybe played into why I enjoyed this more than you did, because I had the previous Raw to put up with. Um, but yeah, it, it just felt like, even though it's not like an all-around classic show, I loved the Punk Mysterio match. Uh, I found various bits enjoyable about the Swagger and Autumn match and the Steel Cage match and the Extreme Makeover match. Main event fart of the finish ruined it for me. The Triple H angle that turns into a bloody 30 minute match. Fuck off. Um, Shad and JTG how is that even a pay-per-view matchup? Um, <laughs> Yeah, a mixed show, but still opposite to what I felt happened to Impact, where the pay-per-view was kind of a drop-off in quality from the TV shows. I thought Extreme Rules did somewhat better than Raw as a TV show. But this is obviously a very uninspired time for the WWE at this point, as we've been finding out. Absolutely. Well, I guess we've got a... um then decide how it fared and can in um, up against impact so uh, up against impact up against lockdown so should we go and rate the two shows and see I'm very very interested on this one to see what comes out on top yeah I'm gonna have to figure this out final round fight all right, so let's start with production value then. Um, this is normally the one that hands down goes to the WWE, and I don't necessarily think it's any different on this one. I think that they do that well, and they probably are going to pick this up more often than they don't. Do you agree with that one, or did you think TNA took it this time? I feel like I should go with a tie here, because this is as close as TNA has got to living up to the standards of a major wrestling show like the size of the audience that they had it looked reasonably close to what wwe could run as an arena the staging was good they had the pyro um actually you might be right because i forgot about the cage holes as well yeah so the cage holes um i thought like they took advantage of that with like the top of the cage spots for the lethal lockdown as well so they really thought about what can we do here that we can't do in the impact zone and yeah i like you say it's usually a cakewalk for wwe and i feel like tna should get a little bit of appreciation here so even though it's only getting themselves level to wwe it's you know i feel it's worthy of a tie I'm going to go with you on that one. I've, you've, you've changed my mind there completely. Now, as far as who displayed the better characters on the night, who did you go with for that? 
Oh God. Um, I don't know really. I think as far as characters go, there's some really big failings in both shows, especially WWE for their treatment of Jack Swagger, um, for amount of effort they put into Triple H being this never say die baby face irked me um, the way they're showcasing edges kind of like uh, he's starting to lose his mind a little bit because Jericho so much in his head um, and John Cena not wrestling his last man standing match like a baby face at all um, impact like I didn't really care about the stuff with the band Kevin Nash all the stuff with Bischoff's turn but I feel like I have to go with them for default because other than that it felt like they got slightly less wrong than Raw but neither show was really stellar the character progression here for me I went with a tie because of a couple of things. One, as you already mentioned, um, some of the poor booking of the guys on um, Extreme Rules Swagger in particular. Um, And then I guess in TNA, still having the big hulks to stand strong despite all the new main event talent you've got in at the end of the show there. So they they both featured their big characters, but neither of them really did many of them any favours. For storyline advancement, which way did you go? Um, God, I think I'll have to go with uh, Ty here because, again, it's similar to the character displays. There's just as many faults here as there are blessings, I guess. Kurt Angle just beating the piss out of Anderson and then, like, okay, I'm on my holidays now, bye. <laughs> that really irked me. And then um, a lot of the other stuff was just by the numbers for impact. Um WWE, the hearts in the tag division was the only really like, okay, this is obviously what we've got next in the future. So a tie for me. Yeah, I'm pretty much the same on that one. They both finished a few stories, continued a few others, but nothing stood out from either show. So I can definitely get with a tie on that one again, which takes us to the crowd heat. Who do you think had the best crowd heat on the night? Um... Hmm. I'm going to go with WWE here um, with it being Baltimore neighbouring Batista's hometown of Washington DC they're really into Batista um, they were really into um, Orton like Orton could just look at the crowd and get a pop like, they're doing something really good with him there Um TNA had a really rabid and loyal audience, but still, I felt like WWE did a lot without trying. I actually, I probably went the other way and went with TNA just because as I took my notes for both shows, I probably had more moments where the TNA crowd got hot than the WWE crowd did. Um, I don't think they were really that into the Jericho edge finish. They weren't into the Batista Cena finish. Um, they never believed Orton was in any danger. And I don't think they really got on board with the triple H Sheamus stuff either, to be fair with all the main, main matches. Whereas they were hot for Pope in TNA. They were hot for some of the turns in the main event. And yeah, I just, I felt as though they popped more probably because they were given more to pop for. Actually, that's true that the opener and the world title match for TNA was definitely above anything on, Extreme rules, so yeah, I, I'm gonna have to 
swap here. You've convinced me. <laughs> Which takes us to the last one. And I think on, on this one, it's going to be by far the most important one. It's match quality. And this is where I think we may split because I went with TNA and I have a feeling you're going to go the other way. I am going to go the other way. Yeah. Like I was saying, WWE didn't really get everything absolutely spot on all the time. But TNA just had some really rotten nothing stuff that I wouldn't even want on television, right? Especially revolving around the band, the knockouts title match, um, the main event for TNA, I feel was a slightly bigger disappointment than WWE's main event, even though they both were at fault there. And yeah, I think with like exactly mirror images of each other here, you enjoyed Anderson and Angle more than I did. I enjoyed uh, Edge and Jericho more than you did. Um, for, for me, the, the key thing here is Punk and Jericho was on WWE show, and that was way above the standard of what we got on Impact for me. Fair enough. Well, this is going to make things interesting because I have never been in this situation before where there's actually more categories tied than any company won. Um, so I guess we have to decide whether or not that means it was a tie overall or the fact that TNA won more of the remaining categories than WWE did means TNA won. So it's maybe too close to call this one, perhaps. Yeah, I, um... hmm. I don't really think that there's like a categorical thing where I can justify one show over the other, other than the CM Punk and Mysterio match. Yeah, so I guess it's um it's it's going to be up to you, the listener, to go and watch these two if you dare and pick yourself a winner because we can't split them. Um, you enjoyed Extreme Rules more. I enjoyed uh, Lockdown more. But it's about as close as it's going to get, which is... um. Yeah, probably pretty apropos for this period of time, Duncan, because I think this is about as close as TNA is ever going to get to challenging the WWE. <laughs> I believe so. We um, Looking ahead, we've not got very long to go, I'm afraid. No, we do not. Um, obviously, we're going to be back pretty soon after this show is released to do Raw and Impact from before and after the pay-per-views. And then how many weeks have we actually got left? So the... Impact and Raw um, that was like before Extreme Rules, that's one week. Then we get the uh, next week, so the night after Extreme Rules, where it's a draft, that's one week. And then I think the next week is the final week. So I think we've got three weeks of television left. We are on the home stretch. We are indeed. It's a sad time that it, it flamed out so quickly, but um, obviously we'll we'll wrap all that up as we get to probably three episodes from now. But um, yeah, interesting that we're we're coming up pretty quickly. It seems to have flown by this this little story arc we've been on. I know it creeps up on you, really. I've so I've probably mentioned it a couple of times before, but I've got a good idea for what we can do for a bookend to this. I'm very intrigued. <laughs> But that will um, that will do it for this episode. We're going to obviously continue down the line and finish this storyline off, which is cool. It'll be the first time on the show that I've actually gotten to the end of a story arc, so that's going to be quite cool for me. My show's quite open-ended, as you, no doubt everybody knows. 
what about yourself, Duncan? What have you and Kyle got coming up in the near future? Obviously, you guys just did a WCW show, which was great, and um, a couple of other bits and bobs you guys have done recently. But what's coming up next? Yeah, um, our most recent episode, as Lee mentioned, it covers Spring Stampede 1999, which is my efforts to find Kyle a good WCW show in a place you wouldn't necessarily expect it. Um, we'll be meeting up to record WrestleMania at some point, Uh time of recording is the day before wrestlemania uh, so we'll be i'll be going over to kyle's and we'll have like a big viewing party um but i'm gonna probably have to bring my notebook and stuff because there's no way i'm fucking watching it twice <laughs> do not blame you at all a <laughs> uh, big thank you lee for both having me on and for coming on our show as well uh, when you mentioned so uh, lee came on to do with like a triple h debate episode with us and yeah as soon as you mentioned it on your show we got a really big bump in listenership so i'm glad i I had a hell of a good time on your show i thought it was fantastic um we've kind of been threatening that for a while with you guest guest appearing on here you know pretty pretty regularly and yeah we finally got to hook it up on the other channel and i didn't have to edit anything so it was lovely (laughs) (laughs) now you know how i feel (laughs) <laughs> yeah exactly um, uh, but no it's good um i think kyle and i came out fairly even in the debate and you were a fairly even judge even if we both accused you of cheating for the other side <laughs> but if you haven't listened to that yet definitely go and do so because it was a lot of fun i actually really enjoyed uh, recording that and i'm actually quite hopeful that the three of us can put our heads together and come up with something to do again in the near future too because i i would love to do a little bit more backwards and forwards with Kyle. Maybe even something we all agree on at some point. Mm, yeah, for sure. So yeah, that's uh, that's coming up. Um, I actually, by the time you listen to this show, you will also have had out another show that I did with Richie looking at 1987 various wrestling organizations. Um, and then in short order after this, Duncan and I, probably before this has dropped, possibly will have recorded the next show, um, Raw and Impact. And then from there, I've actually, I've, got a whole bunch of stuff in the can because i've got a show looking at the next step along the 1996 timeline coming up in the next couple of weeks as well so after a few weeks off there's going to be several shows in a row and yeah we'll carry on carrying on so it's been good having you again today duncan thank you once again for coming on pleasure as always lee and thank you all for listening as usual first flow easy yo Yo, yo, for the hood, for the hood, everybody flow easy. <laughs> so easy. Yo, listen, for the corrupt mob, John Cena, trademark, listen. I embarrass MCs who touch the mic with me. That's why they never holler when it's showtime. Get me. I spit poison like a black snake bit me. Guns up in the E class, D's can't get me. My fuckers are 13, 12s don't fit me. My heart is cold and hard like Jack Frost bit me. So many new flows, old flows start to panic. It's time they got built by the mic mechanic. Y'all heard, I stay in hood streets like curbs and never forget where I come from. Word, I ain't going broke. Fuck you, I cop me a brick and take it straight to the block. Forget rap quick, don't trip. Bump got a speed zone sign for suckers who move too fast against mine. I'm pressed, pushing it full speed ahead. You left, bullet in chest, meet the death. So easy, turn up yeah. the mic, it's time. Flow easy, whenever I spit a rhyme. Flow easy, the underground pound.
on the grind. Flow easy. So yours don't sound like mine. I flow easy. Turn up the mic, it's time. I flow easy. Whenever I spit my rhyme, I flow easy. The underground pounding ground, I flow easy. So yours don't sound like mine. I flow easy. Philosopher first, rapper second. Manifest the message. Lessons involved with all but hits you. Aviate your crew and lift you. So what's the issue? Trademark has got it locked before we meet you. Read your mind before we even greet you. Won't mislead you. Ain't trusted people, cause I defeat you. Take it down and not slow your road. Cause we crush spirits like we stole your soul. I sent styles off, dog. Y'all are fucking mimics. Man, I talk more shit than pro lifers in abortion clinics. Run my mouth off like high school rumors, man. And grab microphones like pedophiles, groping late bloomers. Flow easy like your first day with white sneakers. You're just a face in the crowd like pack bleachers. Huh, you better rock a sleeveless. Freddie Fox, trademark John Cena, breeze through. Y'all are fucking divas. Turn up the mic, it's time to flow easy. Whenever I spit my rhyme, I flow easy. The underground pound and grind, flow easy. So yours don't sound like mine, I flow easy. Turn up the mic, it's time to flow easy. Whenever I spit my rhyme, I flow easy. The underground pound and grind, I flow easy. So yours don't sound like mine, I flow First easy. First and foremost, I sure boast potential like Carmelo. Turn a hard MC to jello. Make this skin yellow and fair while staying mellow and clear. Man, we in for one hell of a year, yeah. Curse a fool like the Red Sox, we tighter than headlocks I'm flowing easy with Fred Fox, known to hang low like dreadlocks And y'all are too slow, like wearing a weight vest and lead socks I'm a fat kid, you feed me, I'm still hungry Never let a bitch take a bill from me Like Jordan in the fourth quarter, I'm still money Best believe the flow water, we still runny Make your stomach feel funny, I'm so sick With 16 bars, twice the value of gold brick Make it known quick that I'm greedy We got the rats and the cheese beat So believe me Flow easy, turn up the mic, it's time to flow easy Whenever I spit my rhyme, flow easy The underground pound and grind, flow easy So yours don't sound like mine, I flow easy Turn up the mic, it's time to flow easy Whenever I spit my rhyme, I flow easy The underground pound and grind, I flow easy So yours don't sound like mine, I flow easy